everybody, welcome to another Making a Geek. I am Damien DeCarlo, and today I have an interesting guest, a very special guest. Uh, some say she's funny, some people think she's cool. Uh, her name is Avital Stone, and she, from what I understand, is a musically inclined person, music teacher, music theater. Avital Stone, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. How are you? Good. How are you? I am good. I am um, geeking out with you today. Uh, kind of just last minute, I'm just having some nerds and uh, drinking some wine and uh, nothing really special going on over here. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that you're here. I want to talk a little bit about stuff we've talked about before. Um, you seem like a really great geeky person. Tell me about a little bit of your, about yourself and then what you, what you do with music. Well, I'm a music teacher. I teach piano and vocals uh, primarily. Uh, I've worked in theater since I was at the size of this microphone. Uh, <laughs> and uh, during quarantine, that's about it. Hopefully after quarantine ends, I can pump it up a bit. And before the shutdown, you ran a karaoke. Jesus, I do everything. Uh, <laughs> It's a very general question. Um, Not like me. You do a lot. <laughs> well, I've been bartending for just about 10 years. I love doing that. The second I get a bartending job, I'm going to run for it. There's just no jobs out there right now. Um, I've worked at summer camps. I was in the military. I d couldn't name a thing I don't do because I'm, I'm one of those people that is so bored so much of the time that I'll pick up anything I can. Yeah, that's exactly the way I am too. Yeah, I have to always have to have my end in something, whether it's professionally or hobby. Um, let's go with the first thing you said. So, you, so bartending. Uh, I actually have never had the opportunity to geek out with someone on bartending. So, what what made you decide to go into bartending? And like, I know that you have to go to school for it. How long does that take? I've never done it. I've always wondered. So, funny story. Before I ever went to bartending school, I was living in Israel. I was towards the end of my service in the Israeli Defense Force. And I got a job as a server at a local late night pub. And I had five days of training in the kitchen, which went really well. And then they set me up for five days of training at the bar, which went really well. And then they set me up for three days of training as a server, which was to be my job. On my second night, I dropped a full tray with four glasses of Guinness and two glasses of wine on one no. person. Oh, and they no. said, Hey, how would you like to be a bartender? So that's said, worst nightmare. Do that instead. And I swear. That's how it started. I've had dreams about that. I've never even done bartending. I can't <laughs> believe it. That would happen. So, what is that like? You, you drop it on someone, and oh, it was horrifying. I mean, I can only imagine the 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 gut wrenching dropping of your heart, stomach feeling. What was that like? What was that apology like? <laughs> the only upside was that none of the glasses broke. Oh, well, that's that a plus. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> no, the guy was no glasses super were nice. He saw that I was very young. I was 20 at the time, almost 20, and clearly had no experience. They told him I was in training, and they quickly moved me behind the bar so I couldn't drop anything else on people. But it was mortifying, and I went home crying that night and then came back the next day and went, let's mix some drinks. <laughs> now, now, this was before – okay, so you, you started – you didn't really go to bartending school? Is that what I'm getting? Until way after. Okay, so you already started into this and then yeah. you got kind I of bartended, I bartended and worked as a barista in three restaurants in Israel, managed four of them, not including just those three. So I worked in five or six restaurants in Israel. And when I moved here, 
I took a bartending class. Okay. So you took the bartending class when you moved out here. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, sorry if I missed this, but so how long did you live in Israel before moving out to the States? About six and a half years. Okay. I moved there from here and then came back. What are bars like in Israel? Rowdy. Rowdy. Um, different, different from here? The average Israeli is the sweetest, most stubborn, loud, obnoxious, angry person you will ever meet. <laughs> They're wonderful. They're hotheads. Okay. So if one little thing goes wrong, everyone's exploding. <laughs> it sounds like the old west. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> when, it's a lot more hectic and everyone has a gun. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just like I said, like the cowboy days. Um, so you had, you had some six years of, of living there. and um, um, Actually, I lived there when I was very young. Uh, my parents moved us out there from California when I was three and then back when I was six. Um, and then I moved out there on my own when I was 19. Okay. So that's when you that were out the there working. Yeah. Okay. And then you decided to get into bartending because you'd liked rowdy places. <laughs> I needed money. Got it. And you <laughs> already knew, you kind of already knew how to do it. Right. Um, here I did. Uh, by the time I came back here, I just knew that I loved it. I love bartending. I think mixing drinks is it's creative. It's actually very culinary and I'm very culinarily inclined. I love to cook. I love to bake. I have my own baking business, which again, during quarantine, not really working out, but right. eventually, right. <laughs> but it's, it's because it's so culinary that I love it. I love to make my own drinks. I love to mix other people's drinks. So when it comes to bartending, you, you went to school here. How long is schooling for being a bartender? long as it takes. Uh, back when I was in that school, it was 10 lessons. You can redo them as many times as you want. And then once you're ready, you take a speed test, which is making generally 12 drinks that they just shout out at you, but three at a time. So it's four sets of three drinks. In some places, it's three sets of four drinks. And if you make all 12 in under seven minutes, you pass if you okay. make them correctly. So you're timed and this kind of thing. But when it comes to the real world, if you're bartending, do you feel like you're still timed in your head while you do this? Or do you feel like you get a little more leniency? It really depends on where you work. If you're working a catering job, like a wedding, and you have a line seven deep of people, it feels a bit like you're timed. But I'm so competitive with myself that I always feel that way. Okay. So I'm you always kind of working push yourself anyway. Yeah, exactly. So there's no difference for me. For someone else, there might be. Now, where did you work when you came to the States uh, when you did bartending? Uh, the first place I worked was actually Ladyface Alehouse back when it was under original ownership. And that's in Agoura Hills, uh, yes. California, right? So yeah, by where we live. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, right on the edge of Agora, close to Calabasas. Okay. Yeah. I've been there many times. Actually a great place. Um, yeah, now, awesome. now you, you worked there and you did bartending. Do they, do they serve mixed drinks or is it just beers there? I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've been there. While I was there, we had a, we called it a full bar, but it was a minimal full bar, but we still were able to make the vast majority of drinks, sometimes a little tweaked. I don't think we had Grand Marinier, but we made do. Now, as I understand it, I have not been back since I left, but now as I understand it, it is an entirely full bar like you would find in a bar. Okay. And so. apparently incredible, but they are first and foremost a brewery and they have some of the best beers in the state. Right. That's what I remembered. Okay. So I was a little surprised to hear that they had uh, mixing there, but that's, that's cool that they had a little bit of both. Um, so you, you had that experience. You, you also have a huge uh, love for music from the little bit I've talked with you regarding that, that of it. And so you've done 
or you do teaching yeah. music. What do you teach again? You said vocaling? Uh, vocals, so singing and piano as well, up to an intermediate level, because I'm no more than intermediate plus myself. Okay. And so I, I had someone on the show. Uh, he's actually the composer of the music that, that does this and uh, mm-hmm. for Megan a Geek. And, and so for him, uh, he teaches music as well. Do you feel, and after talking to him, I, I felt that a lot of what his concern was is that right now with COVID happening, that most people are doing this over Zoom and it's probably not as easy to do now as it was before. Is that, is that how you feel about it? Yes, in that aspect, but I'm teaching at people's homes. So and you're, I'm still, still, you're still going to homes. You're just playing it safe with, with masks and everything then. Absolutely. Okay. 100%. Um, I won't go into a home if I know that there's been a case in the past month. I'm very careful. Right. Okay. They're very careful with me. I'm telling them where I've been. Um, I currently only have one family that I'm working with, so it makes it a little bit easier. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of uh, know them very well and you know yes. their situation. Yeah. You're not going to random homes without knowing. No. Have you had any sort of uh, symptoms or anything? You have to kind of, you know, interview that part first before you uh, compromise yeah. your own safety. Exactly. And I'm working through a company, so I'm kind of third party independent contracting for them. So they're doing all the vetting, letting me know how it is. And then I choose whether or not to take the client. Okay. So they're going to be, they're kind of the ones doing the, the yeah. research. They're my middleman. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, as far as then when it comes to musical theater, you expressed a lot of interest in that. What is, what is that about? Uh, in the past, mostly, uh, I think I was, I think since I was three years old, I wanted to be an actress, especially on stage, especially with music. And in the past, I'd say about the past six months to a year, I've realized that that's not my goal anymore, which is funny after 25 years, deciding that you've changed everything, but I'm moving more towards directing now. Okay. So I'm actually majoring in screenwriting right now. In, in So you're right up my alley. So that's exactly my interest as well. For me, I feel that, um, I, for me, my interest is more uh, when it comes to film, making it as a whole. And I, I feel that directing kind of has a hand in that. Of course, you're doing almost everything. But I feel that the screenwriting, you're kind of doing it all from your head. So you're kind of, yeah. you, you, you're directing it in your mind. You, you're thinking of who you're going to cast fantasy team, right? Cause it's not going to be the ones that are going to be casted, but you're, right. you're, you're kind of being driven story-wise. And I've, I've had a background in writing since I was younger. My, my mother's a, she's a novel writer. Um, so I've had a background in it, but I, I really love that you have full control of the creativity. And that was the number one thing I loved about it. So with you, with an interest in film, have you, have you gone to school for it, uh, for directing or are you in the process of it? I'm in the process. Uh, okay. I just switched over my major from psychology to screenwriting because this okay. is kind of an, an old new interest. It's an old interest that just presented itself and I so, just realized I was interested. So how did musical theater get out, you know, snuffed and then go into then now directing? What, what was the process? What made you, what, what, what changed? I mean, you still love musical theater or yeah, is that just not a thing? Anymore? I do. Um, but not as on stage anymore. I love stage managing. I've stage managed quite a few productions, but ever since I got back to the States a couple of years ago, I worked just on plays, not musicals. Okay. And I find that I connect more with the spoken word than the sung one. Musicals, 
beautiful, amazing, very well written most of the time, extravagant. I found that I don't need that extravagance so much. I like the kind of, my first project when I came back was Laramie Project, which was one of the highlights of my life. I can't imagine having been in a play that was that meaningful and that amazing and with such an amazing group of people than that. And I've still not been able to replicate that. Now, did, what did you feel? Were you, were you nervous doing it? Did you, did you get performance anxiety? what did you feel? Uh, you think I would have after not having been on stage for about seven or eight years, but it felt like home. It felt like I had returned to the place I, sh I was supposed to be. And it had a lot to do with the parts that I was playing. So the, definitely the judge, very important character, sure. uh, Barbara, who went in to, re to talk to these people, very important. But I got to play this amazing character who led the candlelight vigil for Matthew Shepard. Very emotional scene. I got right. to do a couple monologues, but one very important, uh, without which I don't think the play would have had the effect that it did. Right. Um, Zubaida Ula, who just being a Muslim, a real person, of course, many Muslims, especially back in the early 90s, along with Christians and even Jews, did not understand homosexuality stigma right. against it and all and she felt for this man and she cried and she was so sad to see that he had passed and she was there for his family and that that to me to be able to have portrayed a character such as that such a warm loving feeling character that was home i see so it had a lot to do with the role that you were playing absolutely that helped that helped that feeling that that you were home that you were doing exactly what you wanted to do yeah was it was it difficult for you to then feel that you could do anything else after that being such a deep meaningful role for you no not so much cuz that reopened my love of theater and made me realize that there was more to theater than just musicals and so right after that, I believe I did a version uh, of Midsummer Night's Dream uh, in which I played Robin Starveling, uh, one of the mechanicals. Fun role, super sweet, funny, nothing to write home about. <laughs> so you had kind of a comedic role, like you had some... Oh, yeah. That were... It was funny. It was definitely funny. There was a lot of like... Ugh, ugh. Got it. So Lances you went polar opposites. You went from a really deep, meaningful character that yeah. changed everything for someone, and then it came to that. Now, so you, you had some. You have diversity. You can you can do a lot. Now, when it comes to when it comes to that, and you did basically acting on stage. Did did it make you feel like you wanted to be an actor in film? Yes and no. Um... During that play, during the second one, Midsummer Night's Dream, I was playing not a huge role. So I was also given the role of assistant stage manager. <laughs> uh, during which I was allowed to create all of the lighting and all of the sound effects. And I kind of saw how much fun that was and I really liked being backstage. Interesting. So you had, then, you had the taste of everything in this, this whole yeah. thing, like on stage, behind stage. Yeah, and then and the so, next play I did, which I couldn't tell you what it is, I was full stage manager. Oh, it was um, Anne Frank. Okay. 
back to set again, but I was full stage manager for that. And again, I created the entire light effect, sound effect board. Everything was me. And it was, there's something about that power. (laughs) (laughs) I have full control of you guys. (laughs) Right. And uh, I got to put a lot of really cool effects that made it really poignant and made the story stand out. And I got to work very closely with the director who also happens to be my best friend. Uh, which was just an awesome experience. And I realized how much I like being behind the scenes and hopefully direct one day. Now you want to direct in the same fashion or, or is it just, what, what would you like to direct? I should ask you. Well, I do have a project coming up, assuming that same theater company is coming out of their hiatus next year. Um, assuming they do, I am set to direct the dining room for them. um, I should know this, but it's out of my head right now. But you know who. Uh, (laughs) It's this beautiful story. It's instead of a story, it surrounds a place. And it's 12 or 13 different stories in this one place, which is the dining room. It's one set. It's beautiful. It's different families. It's different couples. It's just this amazing, mostly poignant, somewhat funny story comprise it's an anthology if you will okay so i'm set to direct that hopefully sometime next year assuming they come out of hiatus that'll be my directorial debut and then meanwhile i'm in school so hopefully i can move forward with that and you're in school right now for for this particular field for screenwriting and then to transition to directing okay and what how far are we looking as far as you and your progress and how how is First of all, how long do you have to go and, and how has COVID affected you? Um, I'm an online school only, so not so much. I actually applied after COVID started. So I knew it might be another three years or so before I finish. Okay. Uh, as far as COVID goes, because it's an online school, not so much of an effect. Right. So at least you, you can still do it. It's still, I mean, if anything, maybe even better because you're at home. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, certain certain times you're too tired to go to, to, to class and you're, you're trying to rush and you're trying to rush in your day. In this case, you're home. Um, yeah, class is in my bed. Right. <laughs> do you have to be on camera when you do it? No, there's no lectures. It's all from books or um, discussions. Okay, good. So you're able to do it on, you know, Saturday morning in your PJs. <laughs> yeah, it's on my time and my time right. alone, which is really nice as long as I do it in the week. So when it comes to your love of film, your love of performing, there's there's got to be something else that you like to do on your free time with uh, either you or your boyfriend. What what do you geek out about at home? What is your what is your geek thing to do? Uh, books. Movies. I love seeing a good movie. I just went to see Tenet in the I theater. I just saw it as well. In the Tell theater. Tell me about it. <laughs> Let's talk about it. My boyfriend and I went to see it. I'm still mulling it over and I know I need to see it a second time. Okay. So you, you went and saw an awesome film. I, oh, I, I want to I geek out a little bit about it. So, yeah. so Christopher Nolan's films. Now, for me, when it comes to the screenwriting I've done, uh, I'm, I, very, I very much have been on par with the style that he has. And it's always oh, yeah. been like that even before. I want to say I started in this style when I was writing back in 07, 08. So it's been right. He was making films, but I didn't really like know. Memento, was. which Memento. I still have not seen. Amazing. You need <laughs> on the list. 
Absolutely. The, the storytelling of that, the, 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 the screenwriting, everything, everything is done perfect. It's a perfect. Even his style. Batman films. The Batman films, I mean, by far I, the best ones that I've ever. I, I been really made. dislike all of them. I really From do. The I, <laughs> I don't even like Batman at all. I, uh, but no, I, I really, absolutely love what he did with those films. But those weren't really much of a mind bender, as when you got into Memento, Inception, uh, Tenet. I mean, even Interstellar was a little bit, just as far as just how out there it was. Yeah. Um, you know, out there in space. Um, no, but so I, uh, for his style of writing. It's always been about not only tripping you out, but but making you really work for the film. You're, you're working for what you're consuming, and that's what yes. I appreciated. Um, so for me, I think that Tenet was one of those films that is just a flyby. I mean, it goes right by you. You're like, what what just happened? Though I, I consumed it, I get it. But not really. Like, I really don't because I need to see it again. And I'll tell you, by the second time I saw it, um, you, you start looking at things at a different angle. So you, you already know, linear speaking, you know, what's going to happen. Now you're, you're, you're dicing up as you go the other parts of it, which I won't give away for whoever is watching this. But um, really great film. And that to oh, me is awesome. exactly what I'm made for. Like, I love that kind of film. I would love to make a film like that or write it or direct it. But what what is your take on it? How how much did it trip you up? So, um, I am a consumer. I, I assume everyone's seen the trailer, so at least I can the very least I'm going to say, and the most I'm going to say is that it has to do with time. That's all I'm gonna say. As an avid consumer of Doctor Who. There you go. <laughs> of anything that back in high school, I would I would devour physics books. I just I was not in any classes. It's just interesting to me. I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. Anything I can get my hands on that'll help me understand the theory of time. Yeah, you 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 segued perfectly from Doctor Who to this, as far as like <laughs> the concept of time. My timey uh, wimey stuff. My you know. third my third screenwriting uh, uh, my my third story has to do with time travel as well. And I wrote that back in 2010, and it's been a progress for the past. I mean, it's done, but it's been a progress of I'd say about four years. And for me, I dove in really hard into every thesis you can think of when it comes to time and how it's relative with what we, you know, what we know. Um, my concept was definitely not anything near Tenet, so it was nothing like that, you know. But, you know, as far as the, the story goes, I took a fascination with knowing how time is affecting not only, not only the ones that are um, linear running through it, but the one that can see can see it from afar. So kind of like you're, you're looking at it. So the like, multiverse theory. Yes. So you're looking at it from afar, kind of like you're seeing a film happen, but you are, you are the traveler, but you, you need yeah. to see things play out. And so what does that mean to you as the traveler? You, how does time work for you when you do that? You know, those, those different weird concepts that may or may not have been really been touched on, but in, in as far as theories go. Um, so I took a fascination of that and I won't give away too much about my screenplay or talk about it, but I, it's basically that. And so for me, the, uh, the concept of when uh, Nolan went into Interstellar, it was kind of the same sort of feel when it came to time, sort of kind of um, very, very, you know, little, but he touched on it. Um, fascinated me because a lot of it, a lot of what we know, is is governed by time and that's like the one thing that truly is the hardest commodity commodity to find in today's world it's not money and it's it, it, you could say it could be love but in this case 
I really feel it's time. We don't have time and we, we lose it. We want it more of it and we won't ever get it. So in, in, in my opinion, it's about, in which case my, my screen play, the, the story I wrote has to do with the appreciation of what you do have. So it's kind of the guy that's got 20 bucks in his pocket and he makes the most out of the $20 because he appreciates every dime that he has. So it's more like that. Rather than the guy that just spends it because he has it. Spends it and spends it because he has it. And then it's just kind of one of like those stories that, okay, you have control of time. You can do what you want with it. But this is like, yeah, I have control of it. I want to appreciate with what I have. And so, um, Really, really awesome stuff, and I thought the movie was great. Tenet did have to do with some tra- time travel. I won't give away too much for those that haven't seen it because it's kind of tough right now with COVID. A lot of yeah. theaters aren't open. We just, in our area... Um, if you have AMC, you can download it. You Oh, you can download like, it at home now? It, I think if you have AMC, just oh, go onto their website, and you can rent it to your home screen, which I'm going to do for my second watching of it. Right, yeah, the, you, and you definitely need to. And that, that's great, though, for folks that are still weary about going out, those that are a bit older or have you know, certain conditions, definitely should And if you it. like subtitles, like I do. Yeah, that's the number one thing I said with this film. When I saw it even the second time, I'm like, I really, really would have taken much more with subtitles. I needed subtitles. <laughs> yeah, there was... I will say I liked that there were breaks in the action because most Christopher Nolan movies are action, action, action. This one started off strong, had a lot of dialogue, which I thought was brilliant. And then, of course, action, 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 dialogue. It had a nice, even balance. Absolutely, yeah. But a lot of the dialogue was, I think, because I was in a Dolby theater and it was so loud that I couldn't catch every word. Yeah, I I think I saw it where you saw it too. But yeah, Yeah. for me, that was the same thing. it's hard to see a film that is so uh, visually stimulating. Yes. And, and at the same time, you have to really pay attention to every word that's being said because <laughs> plots that would consider to be holes for others could be said in like one sentence. Like if you just hear that sentence, then it'll make sense yeah. to you. But you can miss it with those kind of films that there's so much going on. And it's that to me then is important and uh, watching it at least with subtitles or rewatching a few times where you get that line. Yeah. I think I missed less than I thought I did because there were a few things throughout that I said a split second before they happened. I was like, this is about to end this and I know what this is. So I definitely understood more than I did, you know, but it's worth a second and maybe a third watch. So you like films, uh, oh, you and I definitely connect on that. And, and your boyfriend loves films just as much as you, or are you more? Maybe a bit more. <laughs> okay, wow, that's He's great. He's a total film nut. Film nut, okay, great. Yeah. I'll have to talk with him next. Um, <laughs> and then you like to read books. Tell me some of the books you like and what, 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 makes, you, what makes you like a book? Because I've never really read novels. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're more of a comic guy. Pretty much. Um, We'll give that Don't away. get me wrong. <laughs> I love comics, but I grew up devouring fiction and fantasy fiction, especially. Um, I'd say about 90% of the books I love are fantasy fiction. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter. Um, few, Very few people are going to know about this one, but Pierce Anthony's uh, Xanth series, his any of his series, uh, Incarnations of Immortality, which is the same story from eight different perspectives, all to do with theology slash science in a new perspective. Absolutely genius. I can't even describe it. Um, and then 10% is going to be a bit more realistic, but still kind of goofy fiction. So what would Hitchhiker's be, Guide to the what Galaxy. Would, okay. I was about to say, what's goofy fiction? I get it now. <laughs> uh, Tom Robbins, anything by Tom Robbins. Okay. I am in, if he ever comes out with another book, which is doubtful because he's been writing since I think the sixties, 
I'm I'm picking it up and reading it. The guy's pretty legendary. The guy's written so much. He's amazing. I uh, I for my for Christmas last year, my boyfriend got me a signed first edition copy of Still Life with Woodpecker, and then this year he got me for my birthday. He got me a first edition of Jitterbug Perfume. So it's a, he, you can say he's up there in my top three favorite authors. Reading, film, and uh, now as far as like the geek world where I'm at, um, you know, comic books. Uh, what what is your what's your favorite superhero? Ooh, a loaded question there. Uh, I know, I know. I I mean, I obviously don't have one. I don't. I don't. Uh, I think you I might. A special <laughs> superhero. Um, Batman's up there for me. I will say I can't put a finger on one favorite. I can tell you my favorite comics in high school to read, and that would give you a bit of an insight into what type of thing I like. So, top obviously Deadpool. I read the comics before he even thought about making the movie, and then he made the movie, and it was just as good as it needed to yeah, be. Yeah, pretty much. Perfect. Yeah. And Ryan Reynolds, who in the comics, Deadpool compared himself to Ryan Reynolds. So, of course, it yeah. was just meant, it was meant to be. It was meant to be, absolutely. Was <laughs> uh, I loved Batman comics. Uh, not to alienate anyone, but I hate Superman. Ah. I think he is a weak, little, whatever. <laughs> On his own planet, he has nothing. With the caveat of Red Sun. Red, okay, Red Sun, Superman's a hold up. That's Red all Sun's. Thing. The yeah. best thing to have ever happened to DC, in my opinion. That would be the only version of Superman that I find acceptable. Really enjoy. I mean, I yeah. don't mind Superman. I just feel like it's not really. I don't identify. I don't feel. He's too strong. He's too and strong. And then he's too weak and... on his own planet. He has right ten different weaknesses, all in the form of different types of kryptonite. I'm bored. Yeah. I get you. There's, there's just no drama to it. There's nothing really. Uh, no. Although I get the fans. I get there's just a really cool following when it comes to Superman, when it comes to the fact that yeah. it's so science fiction. It's very alien and he was alienated yeah. growing up. Okay, I get that. But with me, there's other characters that appeal more to what I like as far as their, the, the conceptuality, what they deal with, the, the demons they fight. And for me, that, that would appeal to me. Yeah. So I think that's someone that would like Superman. Actually, not think. I know a lot of the fans that love Superman are big Trek fans. And so, you know, they, they like outer space. They like different planets. And that's not what my they thing like. either. <laughs> yeah, me neither. For, if anything, I'm more of a Star Wars guy. I mean, uh, not that, you know, there's a poster <laughs> there. But for me, yeah, Star Wars has just been more, again, about the, um, to me, about the story. And as, I mean, not that Star Trek isn't, but I mean, Star Trek was just more about the fact of discovering places. It was, a, it was yeah. the drama behind a crew going and dealing with things. But Star Wars just got more of the gritty side. You, you had a dark side. You had, um, you had a lot of drama into the fact of what made Anakin Darth Vader. There's just yeah. a, a lot of different you know, uh, levels to it. And I, I just feel exactly. that, that that's where probably you and I and probably your boyfriend, John, would connect a little bit more um unless yeah. he's a trekkie i don't think so really we haven't really talked about that so much in the three almost three years we've known each two and a half years that we've known each other but um it's it's always been a bit more towards star wars uh what i would love to do i, w I would love to see both you and and john at a at a comic-con and you guys would just light up as to what's there because there's just so much stuff um when it comes to all of these things we talked about a lot of stuff in film um, a lot of the uh, screenwriters, a lot of the actors, directors show up. 
and then you have all the geek stuff we've been talking about and so i feel like that that kind of a place is really that that spot for you to have these kind of conversations to to discover cool stuff that you can buy and you know needless stuff you don't need um and I, I miss those days. And I was just having a, I had an episode not too long ago with a couple guys that professionally go there and I've known them for a long time. And um, we miss those days. And I, you know, to me, this, this show making a geek is connecting to those that are, uh, you know, geek, geeky inclined, but then it also is an education for those that don't know much about what we're talking about. And that, that was the whole concept of the show. It, you know, it was, it was, it was meant for someone to be in the show that didn't know, who who Darth Vader's son was, who's Luke, Sky, Luke Skywalker's father was. And, and you know, daughter, hang on. And daughter. But, you know, that was just the one that most people will, you know, kind of wonder, like, you know, they've heard that a lot, right? And so, you know, Luke, I'm your father. In a lot of the, the comic books and movies just threw it at you, you know, the ones yeah. that don't know it. Marvel, you know, their, their whole cinematic run has thrown it in, in, into the media with yeah. successfully successfully oh, of absolutely course. and mostly well done but it's left a lot of people to wonder like well i don't know who really iron man is or what's the story behind you know dr Whereas strange people that grew up with the comics right like us know exactly what's going on and we embraced it right so long to see those movies exactly we've waited a long time for me i was just talking to um randy emberlin a great probably one of the greatest artists I've ever known. And he, uh, we were talking about how going back into the eighties and nineties, Marvel, you know, they, 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 they came alive in their writing when it came to comics, but when it came to film and Howard shows, the duck, <laughs> yeah, Howard, the duck. With Howard the duck. And that's what you had, you know? So it was kind of like that. No one took Marvel real serious when it came to, you know, a major movie production. Um, and now we've been finally blessed with the fact that we've had the real good stuff come out. And Cause Disney took it over and they have all the money in the world. Yeah. And they have all the money. And to be honest, I feel that it's in the best hands possible because who isn't going to say that Disney is not successful? I mean, they know what they're doing, you know? I will never as... contest that. They absolutely know what they're doing. What right. I like that they're doing with the Marvel movies is they're giving them some free reign. They're not pigeonholing them into what should be classic Disney. They're allowing them to do what they need to do to be successful right. and to make good movies. Right. And that's, that's the key. As long as there's that freedom to be, you know, versatile with what you make yes. for the fans, because the fans... I mean, I, I know any Hollywood producer that I've talked to will say it's about what Hollywood wants to make for the mass media, for, for everybody, you know, for the masses. And so while you can say that, I think that the fans govern a lot of what will be successful as well, because there's there's boycotting films. There's there's just so much that fans will do damage on your film that it's Absolutely. important. It's very and remember, important. there's always pre-screenings where the fans get to input. You remember what happened to Suicide Squad? The Suicide Squad was set to be a lot more like the comics, much darker. You see more of the relationship between Joker and Harley Quinn, where it's actually very hostile and very aggressive and very violent. Like a different cut was made? A they made a new cut once they did screenings because people that weren't fans of the comics were called in to watch these screenings and they said, oh, it's too dark. But if anyone that had read the comics had come in, they would have said, that's perfect. That's what it should be. And they still haven't released those scenes. 
And yet we know what happened to Suicide Squad. It didn't really succeed. We I just know, know, but yeah, it could have been so much better if they just hadn't left well, it out. C- case in point, uh, Justice League Snyder Cut. So Absolutely. You know, they cut it to what they wanted it to be by the mass media or by the mass, I should say, um, you know, to be sort of Avenger-ish, a little funnier. And they tried these recuts. It failed miserably. Absolutely. Although I, I, I still love the film for what it was because I'll take what I can get, but to yeah. truly say it's Justice League, it wasn't. It really wasn't. The cartoons that I watched growing up were infinitely They were better. better. They were actually better. Yeah. Um, but I, with the Snyder cut, and I know that, you know, Snyder is a hit or miss with, with the fans. I personally love most of his films, but I know that his, his films, version, yeah. Him as a person, maybe not so much. Right. I mean, I know that the person behind the film, like I know that he can, there's potential. So I would rather have his version over what we got in theaters and I'll take mm-hmm. anything else. You know, it's like, I'm open. Um, yeah, I can agree with you there. I, I was very much looking forward to that movie, especially after the, in my opinion, failure that was Batman versus Superman. Um, but um, yeah, what that, uh, I, I, certain Zack Snyder films, like, you mean like that one didn't do as phenomenal as it should have, let's say, but um, you know, like uh, Sucker Punch didn't do great though. I personally didn't mind it. Um, I love that movie. That's yeah, I mean, it I wasn't bad. People. It pe- was brilliant, but I can only watch it when I'm ready to be depressed. Yeah, that's another thing, too. That that might be a lot of what we're talking about. I think Hollywood is really disliking a whole dark feel to his films, you know? I mean, and yet they were okay with 300. 300 was a very dark film, yet I think what got geared towards... Uh, being liked about it was it, it, it fed a lot to the guy crowd not to sound yes. sexist but I feel like it really felt like it was geared towards a, a bro film you know um, and I feel like that kind of is what kept it alive but Sucker Punch was dark but not necessarily for you know all it was very like, feminist it was feminist for sure definitely which but, is I think why I like it so much being a sometimes overbearing feminist myself and an appeal to someone like you absolutely and i feel that where i feel that some some films like sucker punch wouldn't appeal to those that would be the opposite you know and then they yeah. would they would boycott it they would hate it um but i feel that that's that's the joy of what filmmaking is you maybe not for the filmmaker because they feel disappointed with their numbers and what they appeal to but the people that love it there's a film for everybody. And I feel that that's and no film is going to appeal to every single person. Exactly. Right. And I feel like the ones that are Academy award winning generally will be successfully um, embraced by everybody, but not always. I mean, even those that win a lot of awards aren't going to be someone's interest. They don't care if it's about, right. you know, some, some sort of deep story, if they don't watch those kind of things and they feel, I don't want to watch a drama, you know? So I also think of a, testament to for, more forward thinking lately in Hollywood is Joaquin Phoenix winning the Oscar for Best Actor last year for maybe the darkest movie that had come out the entire year. Yeah, let, let, let's let's talk Joker for a minute. So if that movie was extremely dark, I mean, it, it really doesn't get as dark as that. And yet they they critique the, the movies we were just talking about, right? And so that they're too dark. And yet this one worked because you had an award-winning actor, and I think what it what multiple it was- Multiple award-winning actors. Multiple award-winning actor, and I think what it was is everybody was, was not only, they accepted the fact that it was dark, but you're watching someone that is so engaging that you're curious to see what happens next. Kind of almost like a, a car crash, you just, you can't get your eyes off of. It was just, it was one of those stories that 
was deeply affecting and it was very, very, it was a hard pill to swallow yet because you had such an award winning actor, he pulled it off in a way where he got you, he, he, he hooked you. (laughs) You had to watch what he did next. I also think it had a lot to do with the year it came out. Um, In the past 10 years, mental health has become a bit more accepted. Uh, Mental health issues is what I mean. Um, A lot of, a lot of people from my generation, millennials have come out having anxiety, experiencing anxiety rather, uh, experiencing depression, uh, a lot of ADD problems. Uh, So it's, it connected to the audience in a way that no film had until that point, except for maybe Sucker Punch. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a subject that's not touched upon enough. Right. And I think the audience at that point was craving it. You humanize. Even if they didn't know it. You humanize these, these symptoms that we all deal with, these, these, these problems, and you humanized it to a form where we could watch, accept it, and we could sympathize. Yeah. So it was Up all until that- this point, the Joker has been a bad guy. Bar none, we've never seen right. him in any other light. He's always just been a bad guy. This movie right. gave us a reason behind it. This one gave us this, this deep... Mental, mentally ill man who just was seeking help and didn't receive it. Right. In this case, and that's that's what worked with the film is that it got it absolutely you to see it from his point of view. Yeah. And it shined a light on a lot of things that is, that are happening in the world right now that need to have a light shined on them, absolutely. such as mental health issues with veterans. Right. Right. And that's something that definitely we haven't touched on. And now, when it comes to your military background. You don't have to touch a lot about it, but what, what is it that you did and how, how, how has that affected you or those around you that you've been you know, serving with? Um, I think for me, it's a little bit disparate from what you see with veterans from the United States. I did serve in the Israeli Defense Force. In Israel, it's a requirement to serve if you live there, though I did volunteer. Um, I, I volunteered into a community more more than an actual military of course it's a military don't get me wrong it's very you know it's one two one two but it's where people volunteer here and they end up getting thrown into these situations that they never expect you can always think what it's gonna be when you're thrown into say afghanistan let's go a little bit back get thrown into afghanistan you never know how it's gonna affect you right you see death all around you. I never had that experience. I had one night of combat. I don't know if I hit anyone. I got grazed with a bullet. It all ended well. No one died. A couple of my guys were injured. They're fine now. Right. And that when it comes to then even mental health and your well-being, I mean, that could be for any situation, even something like that, where, you know, you're, you're, you didn't experience death. You didn't see something traumatizing. But the fact that you, 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 you acted uh, in such a manner that you that you were expecting it, I'm sure that has to do something to to your mental health. It's at least as far as your awareness constantly. A couple of my guys got shot. I got grazed. Not a big deal. Everyone was fine. A few weeks later, uh, we get back to base, and you know, you start thinking about what happened, and it's very much this: I just got shot at. I could have lost my life tonight, and you can't know how that's going to affect you. Me, I was fine. I have no emotions, <laughs> but someone else that's a bit more sensitive can really take that in deep and start just eating themselves. Right. And like, that's where this country- very deeply. Yeah. yeah. And in this country, 
as opposed to in Israel, there's not a lot of mental health help for veterans, which we've seen in the past few years with right. shootings and the such. Right. And that there's been a lot in our, in our county that we live in here. Um, as far as that goes, I was semi involved in one, which we don't have to get into, but it was the same concept where it was just, you know, you, you'd never know in that, that kind of situation uh, until you're done with it. That, like you said, I, I could have died. And then, you know, that, that settles in after. Uh, no, it there was a mall shooting here, here um, which was, you know, no, nothing like what happened in Borderline. But yeah. you and I both know a few that were involved in Borderline here in Thousand Oaks, California. And that was um, something else talking to them. But um, in, the, in, the, in that, I mean, that kind of, res- in, it, when, when it comes to trauma, I feel that you're right. There's a lot of great help now. And I, I really give props in during COVID. There um, is, but not enough is my point. No, not enough, but I give props with a lot of what I keep hearing during COVID. A lot of people are suffering right now, especially being in quarantine. And I've seen a lot of people, I personally know a psychologist that um, is helping at the forefronts with this kind of stuff. And I know a few actually. And um, it, it, talking to them, it's, it's something that they take so much more seriously now, not that they didn't before, but it's just such a drive now to help mental health because of what oh, yeah. this uh, this pandemic is doing. It's ruining relationships. It's ruining our, our way of life. It's everything marriages. It's, it's throwing everything out and it's, it's, we're left to pick up the pieces and yet it's still not even over yet. I just, all these things have happened where, um, life, it, it will continue. We'll go on, but what looking back, will we do about the damage? And that's where I think mental health is the most important thing. Absolutely. And I also think, that right now is a perfect time for anyone, even if you don't think you need it, to just go just talk to talk. a psychologist, talk to someone online, yeah. because you can just talking, letting it out, you might be the, mo- the happiest, most well-settled person in the world. It's still good to talk to someone. You're always going to have something you need to talk about, no matter Absolutely. what it is. There's always something someone's dealing with. Uh, definitely get help. There's a lot of great people. And you know, those, there's, there's a lot services of- services online now. There's so much. Yeah. And you're able to get different counselors. You don't have to stick with just one. There's just so many options. So I definitely encourage those to get out there. But, um, and on the other hand, there's also the idea of if you are currently in it and you feel like it's not going anywhere, it is still the pandemic. How do you pick up pieces when you don't know where to put them? Absolutely. Right. But just stick with it because you don't know what you're doing for yourself. Right. Or it's only going to help. Always get help. You can't always help yourself. You can't do it alone. And if you can, well done. I know I can't. <laughs> I, I always can. need to call somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, Avatar, it was really awesome talking to you. Before we go, where can folks find you on, on social media? I mean, you're going to be a big hit. You know, everyone's going to know you now. Um, where, do, where do people find you? Um, oh, geez. Um, I'm on Facebook. Avital Stone. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think Avital Stone as well. Uh, I don't post much on Instagram. Uh, so I'm not sure. I believe that's it. You'll find me if you search that. Uh, I also have a business page for my banking company. It's called Oasis in the Dessert. Two S's in dessert. Uh, yeah, that's it. Spoken like a true geek. I am, uh, of course, on Instagram at Damien underscore DeCarlo, also making a geek underscore podcast. 
Thank you so much, Avatar. We're going to see you real soon. I know that we're going to be doing more geeking out soon. And uh, I look forward to hanging out with you and John again. Thanks so much. Don't forget, keep calm and geek out. Good night. <laughs>